Welcome to Inside the Bradfield Centre. I'm James Parton, Managing Director of the Bradfield Centre. And I'm Adelina Chalmers. I'm also known as the Geek Whisperer because I bridge the gap between engineering and the other departments in tech companies. Joining us on this episode is Owen Thompson, co-founder of Cambridge Future Tech. I'm really looking forward to hearing a bit more about uh, he, their ideal customer, um, how, how they, they would help the, the, their ideal customer, but also what advice would he give um, PhDs starting a business? Um, it will be very interesting to hear what, what they have to say about that. Yeah, and as a fairly new kind of uh, you know organisation, I'd love to understand a little bit more about their business model. You know how they make money, uh, both in the short term and the long term, uh, and basically you know where they find their uh, their deal flow from. You know what channels they're using, how do they market themselves, that kind of thing. Welcome inside the Bradfield Centre. Tell us a little bit about your background first. Ah, thank you for having me. Well, um, I suppose my background is a little bit different um, than most um, of the other people in the Bradfield Centre in that I don't have um, um, a, a huge career and pedigree in, in business behind me up until a few years ago. Um, I had actually spent the first 13 years of my career straight out of um, straight out of college, um, going into the Air Force as a as an officer and a fighter pilot. So um, I spent most of my career flying Eurofighter Typhoons, and then in the latter part, I was getting you, you have a sort of limited lifespan as a, as a fighter pilot, and you eventually get promoted into a into a desk desk based role, uh, probably in procurement or something. So. I was uh, pretty much at that stage in my career and decided I wanted to to go and try something new. I've always had sort of um, uh, an interest in business and want, wanting to do something a bit more entrepreneurial. So I um, so I jumped out of the military and, and moved down to Cambridge, and, and here I am. So I've got to ask you. I'm, I'm guessing flying a typhoon is as amazing and as exciting as it looks from the outside. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it is. It is good. I will say, um, you know, when the training system to get there is about six years long, and it's um, incredibly high pressured. And if you fail uh, one particular training event, a particular sortie, three times in a row, then then you're done. You're you're out of out of the um, flying training system, and and your kind of dreams are over. And so you you do spend those first six years under a lot of pressure and trying your utmost to enjoy it and and get the most out of the flying but when you are airborne every single flight is like a driving test and is marked and debriefed for many hours after landing on on the tapes and things so it is it is fantastic fun but you don't really get a chance to relax until you're sort of a decade into your career and you're finally starting to get a bit more comfortable with the aircraft and even then there's there's always the next step in in training and the next qualification and and that kind of thing so it's quite quite an intense career and I always say that it's it's more of a lifestyle than a than a job. It's all encompassing. It affects where you live and how much time you spend overseas and where, where your wife can live and or your husband and that that kind of thing. So, um, certainly fantastic, fantastic fun. But um, yeah, a real real lifestyle decision as well. Mm, no, fascinating. 
Can I ask you something, Owen? Because this is really interesting. I've I've met a few other people uh, who've come from a background in in the Air Force and um, started working in business or in learning development or in kind of people development, and they have a very organized, um, regimented attitude to it, which I absolutely love. Um, and it fits really well with me, but it makes them very different than um, kind of more traditional learning development people that I've seen. And um, and also different than a lot of, you know, kind of CEOs or, or co-founders of tech startups in Cambridge. How, how do you think that that's making you, you know, giving you advantages, um, you know, in in the sector because I think it's quite a quite an interesting background you have. It's not you know, it's not many many air airline um, or air force pilots you get uh, who are CEOs or L and D professionals or or anything like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it has pros and cons. So I would say that particularly towards the latter stages of my career, I was um, operating in a in a fairly senior management position on the squadron and le- leading formations of aircraft out on live operations in the middle east and things like this and so you do gain a, a fairly robust basis in in leadership and a, and a sort of management which which is fairly unique and particularly um operating in high pressure environments and one that really does hilariously feed through into entrepreneurship very accurately is operating under uncertainty and I think all of that's extremely beneficial, and I do I do find that's quite applicable in, in the day-to-day environment. But equally, I think a lot of military leaders get to the stage where they feel like they're quite competent. And I, I certainly was getting to the stage where I was fairly comfortable in my role. Um, but then you transition through in, into the civilian world, if you like, and in the normal um, leadership and management challenges that people get, and you find very quickly that actually um, – I think in in the military environment, you're given a set of people who are fully trained and fully invested and completely understand the objective, and um, almost don't at, at times don't don't need a great deal of direction. They're all incredibly good at what they do, and I found that transitioning in back into the civilian world is it actually much more difficult. And um, see some of the sort of leadership and management attributes that you thought you had, you didn't, and then there are far more. A variation in challenges and things outside of the military than there than there can be inside at times. So it's actually a very different challenge, and I I don't take um I don't take my experiences for granted because it's so enormously different out here than it is in in the military. If that makes sense. That's really interesting. Um, so well, why don't we kind of you know bring things up to date and and talk a little bit about Cambridge Future Tech, where uh you know you're one of three co-founders, I believe. So um. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about what it is and you know what your mission is and what you're up to and you know where where are you right now with the development of the uh, of the company? Yeah, sure. So um, Cambridge Future Tech is uh, was set up by myself, um, Xavier Parkhouse Parker, who's a colleague from the Cambridge Judge Business School, where I've just been through the first cohort for the Masters in Entrepreneurship, which I thought would be a good immersion in, into. Um, into business, the business world, whilst um, also allowing me still to work because it's, it's a part-time course. Um, so Xavier and I met on that on that program. Zav has um, a huge background in working in technology startups and um, also a strong marketing um, flavor to what he's done in the past. And George Neville Jones, who you know very well and have had on the show before, spends a lot of time in the Bradfield Centre. George, actually, I bumped into many years ago. Um, small world he was best man for one of my um friends on the squadron 
who's also a pilot. So we met at a wedding quite some years ago in a, in a stag D. So the Army and the Air Force does mix then? The, uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. We'll let, we let him into that one. Um, but then when I got to Cambridge, hilariously, a couple of people said to me independently, oh, you must meet this guy, George. Um, he's, re- he's really uh, connected in the, in the local ecosystem and he's a really lovely guy. And um, twice I was independently reintroduced to George, who I already knew, who it transpired only lived a couple of roads away from me as well. So naturally, as I went through um, my first few years of various entrepreneurial ventures and going through fundraising rounds and IP challenges and all the usual bits that that people um, deal with going through the startup ecosystem. I was forever kind of referencing George and having having a catch up with him and, and talking through challenges with him. And we developed quite a close relationship in that way. And as we came on to developing the principles for Cambridge Future Tech, um, it became almost a weekly routine that we would sit down with George for a few hours and and iterate the business model and go through his thoughts on that until the stage at which it, it just made sense to bring George into the team because he had so much value. He was very invested in what we were doing. He loves the idea as much as the rest of us and has a, an exceptionally complementary skill set um, compared to the other two of us. So between the three of us, we, th- we think we have quite a nice foundation, quite a broad broad footprint in background and it seems to be working quite nicely for Cambridge Future Tech, which is a deep tech venture builder. So all those business model iterations that I'd spoken to you about just now were really us, us looking at the ecosystem and seeing what we thought was missing in terms of support for um, mainly for, for technical founders and for technical spin-outs that weren't involved in um, health tech or biotechnologies and things like that in town. So more the physical sciences, foundational material technologies and, and things like this. And um, both George and I have done supervising on enterprise tech at the business school. I've been through enterprise tech as an inventor as well. And we both are mentors on other um, bits and bobs in, in the judge as well, the venture creation weekend, and as well as the office for postdoctoral affairs or the postdoc academy as it now is. And we've both I think we had both seen quite a lot of instances of really great ideas and great technologies just suffering from not getting the long-term invested support that they needed, the really kind of hands-on support. And um, we felt that the venture builder model might be a really nice solution to that. Just to pause the conversation a second and tell you a little bit more about the changes we're making at the Bradfield Centre, we now offer a whole range of new flexible membership packages which support home workers, hybrid home working blended with access to high quality office space and meeting room hire by the hour. Starting from as little as £45 per month, visit bradfieldcentre.com for more information or call 01223 919 600. Oh, and you mentioned the venture model. So can you can you explain to us a little bit more how this would work? You know, what the ideal customer looks like, what sort of challenge they would be facing, what would you do for them uh, to give us a bit of an idea? Yeah, sure. So when we were looking at the various forms of support available to, for, for instance, someone who's just finishing up a PhD, has a, a wonderful invention um, or project that they want, they want to commercialize and how they would go about doing that, um, we looked at the the various uh, things like incubators and accelerators and all of the support programs that are out there for those people. And um, we felt that we could add to that structure by um, promoting some kind of more long-term investment. So ours is a, is a sort of value-building portfolio where we look to take some equity as a co-founder would 
Um, but instead of being a co-founder, there's a whole team of us and a whole network and ecosystem of advisors and mentors that um, come with that co-founder stake. So um, a good example would be, you know, we, we'd take a, your PhD example, your PhD student coming out, provide that person with um, a CEO from our network. So we've got a few candidate CEOs that we maintain sort of on, on the books as people that we think would be suitable for dropping into these kinds of companies. We, we try hard to to match those individuals up with someone that we think they would get on with and that would give them complementary skill sets, drop that CEO into that company as a co-founder, and then immediately provide all the support um, to that CEO and technical co-founder pair in terms of building an advisory board, a customer advisory board, um, setting up a structure with mentors. You know, Zav, Zav is straight in there doing all the marketing and the PR. George is polishing up the finances. And so as a proposition to the to the PhD student who would otherwise be sort of searching around for a co-founder still, he's now immediately set up with a co-founder, a structure and a long-term invested team that will stay with him through the duration of that business. Because what we found, and I keep referring to deep tech, what we found with deep foundational technologies is that they take so long to mature and with uh, VC coming in at, at um, increasingly later stages, that um, these founders need a more long-term invested approach in order to get them through to the stage where their technology can be commercialized. So we think the venture builder approach in that it is a long-term support structure provides a better basis for success than uh, putting these individuals through accelerators in isolation. That's not to say that accelerators and incubators don't have a place to play because they can work in unison. And we might put these companies through accelerators in town and base them in incubators and things. And the whole thing should be quite complementary. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you've you answered actually some of the questions I was going to ask you in terms of follow up. But one one clarification, you talked you talked there about kind of working with the teams and mentoring and stuff like that. So is this is this more of a a one to one or one to company program, or do you actually have cohorts of teams where you're delivering content to multiple companies at the same time? Yeah, so um, we're not running a cohort approach per se. We've decided that they're particularly with the way we want to run it, there should be no cookie cutter approach and that we'll look at every um, every founder or every company in isolation and provide it with what it needs. So in the, in the mentoring example, you give perhaps one or one or more of the co-founders needs needs a, a one-to-one mentor or a, or a coach of some kind or perhaps perhaps we're looking at setting the company as a whole up with a team of mentors certainly we'd look to provide advisors um and get get that kind of formally set up on a on a structured basis but um yeah it's interesting and so what we found though is that and obviously we're quite a small team but with an extensive network we found so far that we're not we're not short of um deal flow if, if you'd like to call it that in terms of people that we want to work with or that have um proposed doing something with us but that it is it is subtly different at every stage so it's not necessarily that early stage phd student it might be um a company in the labs a spin out in the labs from cambridge enterprise who needs some additional support who who cambridge enterprise send our way to to work with and then we we develop a solution with them and thus thus our own um you know our own sort of equity model will vary based on what stage they're at and how much support they need Although, you know, we are thinking at the moment, because because it has been, we have found that it is quite in demand and we are uh, immediately sort of really busy with this, um, that perhaps in the future we will look at um, 
a more structured model if we're, if we're going to look to scale quite quickly. So it sounds like you're getting your deal flow from, you know, working with Cambridge Enterprise, the judge and across the university. Is that right? Uh, yes. And so, um, as I mentioned, we've done a lot of mentoring and supervising and things in our spare time in the past as individuals. And um, that's because we really enjoy it and we benefit from the network f- from those places. And essentially, as a company, that benefits us to, to keep on doing that under the guise of the company because it allows us that that um, it's of mutual benefit and we get early access to this sort of extraordinary human capital coming out of the town, if, if you like. Um, but also, I feel that we can give a bit more back. So, we, we, you know, we're chatting to um, all, all stages of that development pathway through Impulse at the Maxwell Centre. We're offering one-to-one clinics and um, the Postdoc Academy competition, which we're trying to offer some mentoring as a prize, um, you know, 10 hours of mentoring to the winners and things like this. And so we can have touch points at every stage along that that ecosystem um and then equally we benefit from meeting all those all those great people and hearing all their ideas and and seeing who we can try to work with but like i say we we really love the idea of doing that kind of tech scouting and being very selective about who we work with and and that's going quite well for us but it's it's happening more, more quickly than we expected and i i think soon we'll need something a little more structured to allow us to to scale up uh, quite quickly because that's coming as i say a little bit more quickly than we'd anticipated what sort of um advice would you um kind of give to these types of PhDs that are coming out of the university that might need your help. Um, is there a core thing that you would like them to know, uh, you know, before they start working with you or talking to you or before they start uh, building a business or, you know, anything like that? Um, I'd be very interested to hear what, what message you'd like to convey to people like that. I guess my, from my perspective, towards the uh, PhDs coming out of the university, it would be you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to give them advice, but I would suggest to, to keep an open mind. Um, many of them have been working on their project or their technology for, for a long time. It's their baby. They're, they're very close to it and they have a specific application in mind that they think would be, would be great for that technology. And sometimes when you do a deeper analysis of what, um, what a customer might want or where where that technology might really have a bigger impact or a more sustainable future um it might not always be where you initially expected that to be and so i suppose my advice would be to just have an open mind in terms of how you commercialize your technology going forward because that can often can often go down unexpected avenues and i've got a really good example from enterprise tech we were working with a um uh, a secure communications technology a couple of years ago which was which was proposed to be delivered by satellites and um really interesting stuff based on quantum key distribution and the class that went through enterprise tech the the group that investigated it and did the market analysis highlighted some some extremely unusual applications that nobody had thought of so people were thinking of securing the financial industries and things like this which is obviously a very long way off because the regulation isn't in place and um, the, the confidence in, in brand new technologies is usually lagging a little bit behind in terms of security. Um, but a couple of people highlighted and conversations with, with potential customer markets highlighted that perhaps the cinema industry would be very interested because um, the, the distribution of digital media across the world is it needs to be very highly secure. There's 
tens or, or more of millions of pounds invested into many of these movies and then they're distributed digitally through to the cinemas and any any breach in the security of those digital distributions can can result in catastrophe for the for the filmmakers and the investors in those films and things and it was just a really interesting avenue that nobody had thought of but actually turned out to be very fruitful um and what wasn't where the where the inventors had initially expected their technology to go in the early stages but it made complete sense to to commercialize it down those avenues and speak to those organizations so um yeah just keep an open mind as to where your technology might be applied and, and try not to um to get too invested in one avenue yeah it's interesting um so just one quick final one for me in terms of you know, questions around the the company um you obviously you, you say you're taking an equity stake in 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 these kind of uh, these early stage ideas. So I guess there's quite a long time horizon until you get liquidity. So you know how, how are you kind of managing that as a business? Because I'm sure that would be interesting, you know, for people to understand. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So at the moment we're self-funded, and um, our business model sees us adding value over time through our equity portfolio, as as you rightly point out. Um, Sometimes there are, you know, with some of the consulting work we do or some of the later stage companies, it makes more sense for us to just introduce a, a fee-based model so that we're not so much relying on the equity. And that's that's helping to contribute to our own liquidity in, in that state. But, you know, it comes, comes back around to this, this scaling question. And I think um, we've, we're almost being caught out by the, by the pace at which we're looking we should be able to scale given how quickly things are moving and so it might very well be that we that we do have to raise our own funding round very shortly and that's something that we're looking at um quite quite soon probably so um yeah we may have to turn towards our own funding round but it's um yeah it is a tricky one and it's it's good to point that out because our business model sees us adding adding value over time to our equity portfolio and not necessarily always getting great access to liquidity unless we're we're touching on those later stage projects so i think we'll probably look towards doing a funding round perhaps approach some corporate sponsors and that kind of thing but we're open to how we how we go about doing that and i think we need to do our own analysis to see what the best solution is for that and that growth, that scaling is purely coming from Cambridge demand or have you got ambition to kind of broaden this out outside of Cambridge? Yeah, it's, it's not actually just Cambridge. I mean, it makes sense for us to utilise the network and the resource that we have here. And I think that it's it's um, there's a lot, you know, there's a disproportional amount of human capital coming out of this city. So we, we really like working in Cambridge, but we've been on calls this week with companies in, in Texas, in America, um, we have regular conversations with Southampton University, Bristol, Newcastle. So we are certainly open to working with companies far outside of Cambridge. But for the most part, um, with the involvement that we want to have, it does make sense for us to invest our time in Cambridge-based companies. So how are you using the Cambridge ecosystem? Because I know you said that ma mainly um, Cambridge is, is the place you operate at the moment. Um, you know, how, how are you using it? What do you, what do you think of the Cambridge ecosystem? Um, how do you see yourself fitting in it more and more in the future? I'd love to hear your, your opinion on that. Yeah, I, I think, well, I mean, I've been here for a few years now. George has, George has been around for, um, George is part of the furniture at this stage. So, I think with the existing relationships that we have, we just maintain those. We make sure to regularly speak to um, all, all of our contacts in the business school and the, the you know, the sort of um, sister organizations like the accelerators in town and things like this, who we have quite good relationships with. But also we, we do 
directly communicate sometimes to the professors in in the labs and things like this to see what they've got on the horizon and whether they've got any talent that they think would be um suitable to have a discussion with and things like this so i guess it's just it's obviously more tricky with with all the lockdown and everything as well because usually we can go and have a, a join the, the beer and pizza evening in the judge or or come to the bradfield center for some uh, networking events and things like that but um, at the moment obviously it's it's far more virtual but it doesn't limit us from having um, as many conversations as we can and just staying open to to ideas and to different programs that are opening up in in town and just making sure that we we fit really so um you know we really want to emphasize that what we're doing should be complementary we should be feeding other people's deal flow as well and that should feed all the way through to the the angel groups and the vcs um it should be very complementary because we are we are simply enhancing the product that's coming out of the university and supporting it through some of the stages where it's currently a little under supported in terms of deep tech and bringing it to the stage where it can interact with the rest of the ecosystem. So we so far had quite a positive response from, from everybody that we've spoken to and we've not had any, any unusual challenges or anything at this stage in terms of where we would conflict with anyone. So yeah, I think that, that pretty much sums it up. How long has the company been active, uh, so to speak? You know, are you a few months in? You know, where, whereabouts are you? We've been iterating the business model probably since um, last March, but we only really. Uh, and again, this I suppose this comes down to management style, doesn't it, James? Because we've had, if if it was entirely up to Zav, we'd have launched the company and in, in March the first last year. Um, and if it was up to George, we'd have taken a much more conservative approach, and we fell out somewhere in the middle. Um, where we, re- we really started activity in earnest towards the latter part of last year, um, October, November time, we really started reaching out and, and deciding that we were ready to start interacting with our first few potential ventures. Um, but it's it's a case of um, just getting stuck in for us and just getting going and getting moving. And like I say, that's happening so quickly now that it's um, we're almost immediately having to think about actually we, we should instead of having our, our very um, casual tech scouting approach where we can be we can sort of um, look around for for the individuals who we think have got the the technology and the talent to move forward. Actually, we, we're going to need something more structured and more scalable quite quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched on obviously you know COVID disrupting things. You know, we're looking forward to having you guys around the, the Bradfield Centre. Certainly, you know, I think this kind of model fits really well with the the kind of collaborative nature of getting people together that you know we we're big uh, supporters of. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that we came to the Bradfield Centre because not only is it a lovely environment to work in, but it it's um, it is great to just go and stand and have a coffee and meet people. We've we've been meeting. Um, AI programmers and all sorts of people. The, the judge themselves are getting an office soon, aren't they? I think in um... that's right. Yeah, we. Funny enough, we had Bruno on to, uh, recently talking about the fact that they've taken space with us, and you know, you mentioned you mentioned folks like Cambridge Angels. Obviously, they're based with us as well. So you've kind of got all the pieces within a a couple of yards of where you're sitting, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of anywhere better for us to be based. To be honest, it, it genuinely is a. A lovely little ecosystem even just within the building not to mention the fact that most of the rest of the science park seems to come over for lunch in the, in the cafe so well yeah great to have you here so is there any anything you need to promote or how do people get involved if they're listening to this they're an entrepreneur they've got an idea how do, how do they get in touch um yeah they're, they're likely to see us as i say on most of the um 
entrepreneurial competitions. We've just judged the Cambridge University Entrepreneurs Competition. So we'll be around on most of the networking events and the calls and things um, over the next few months. But also they can go to our website, which is um, camfuturetech.com. And there's an application portal on the website. If you think you've got a great um, a great technology or an idea that you, you're interested to talk about, um, please do get in touch. And equally, we've got the standard sort of Twitter and LinkedIn and, and pages and things. So either come and bump into us in the Bradfield Centre once it's back open or uh, head over to the website or just type it into Google and there's an application portal on there as well as some more detail about what we're all about and the ways, the various ways that we can help. Owen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and hearing about what you're doing, your incredible background. We really look forward to meeting you at the Brightfield Centre when um, lockdown ends. Uh, but from, from, from us, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really great interviewing you. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. So another really fascinating conversation there with Owen. Um, just, I think, I guess my big takeaway is just, it's another sign of just how vibrant the KBG ecosystem is, that there's just so much activity, that there's a need for these kinds of organizations to help coach and to mentor and to connect, you know, early stage teams coming from this business school or, or the university uh, as a whole. So, you know, just a, another signal. And also they're onto something, it seems, because they're, they're getting interest outside of Cambridge already, uh, which is, which is impressive. It's fantastic that Cambridge is still bubbling up with innovation. Um, I also liked the suggestions or advice that Owen gave to PhDs coming um, with uh, business ideas from Cambridge, saying to keep an open mind about what in industry um, the technology that they're creating could serve. Um, I think that's a very, very good point. The other thing that I really liked about what Owen said was his ability to deal with uncertainty, you know, because of his training in the Royal Air Force and, and being a fighter pilot, you know, those quite um, unusual, I would say, profiles for someone in, in business. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to, to follow Owen and see where he will, um, will go. We want to say thank you to Owen Thompson for being on the show today and also to Carl Homer of Cambridge TV for producing the show. You can listen to previous episodes by searching for Inside the Bradfield Centre on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Amazon Music uh, or by visiting bradfieldcentre.com. Mm-hmm.